We're on the third iteration, and it's, as long as I'm here, it's going to be the last, but you never know. You bring in a new pastor, he might change it back to Woodridge Delano. I have no idea. We'll see, but uh, welcome again. Uh, like, like Courtney said, my name's Aaron. I am one of the pastors here, privileged to uh, lead here and serve here. And so if you're new, welcome. Love the opportunity to meet you after the service. I have two kids back in the gym. Um, they're three and five, and so they keep us pretty busy and uh, live here in Delano and excited about just what's going on in our church and what's ahead of us. This morning we are starting a new series, a, a three-week series called Entrusted. And what we're going to really look at is what does it mean to be entrusted by God? You know, another word for entrusted is responsibility. What are the things that God has given us that we are responsible for? Um, and I think why this is so important is that I'm guessing a lot of us just o- over, when we look over our life, there's a, there's a feeling of, of being overwhelmed. It's really easy to say yes to stuff and really difficult to say no. And I think what often happens is we say yes to too much and we take on too much and then we have too many responsibilities and we end up getting buried. And so what we want to do in this series is really take a step back and look at what are the things that God, let's like start with what are the things that God's entrusted us with. Before we get into all these other uh, spots and, and responsibilities, let's start with what, what does the Bible say about what God has entrusted us with, with and work from there. How many of you are familiar with uh, strength finders? Anybody familiar with strength finders? Quite a bit. Strength finders, for those of you who don't no is, is sort of a, a book assessment teaching that uh, people, individuals go through and you take an assessment and you then get your top five strengths. How have you been uniquely created? What are your strengths? And then you use them in, in, in your strengths primarily in relationship, in team with other people. And so as you learn your top five strengths, you're also learning your team's top five strengths. You're learning how people on your team work, how they see things. And at the end of the day, you're, you're, hope, you're hoping that people are working from their strengths and they're working together as a team and collaborating as a team and getting the best out of each other. So we use this, we've used this at our, our church since I started. And uh, I know when I first went to seminary, I had to take strength finders. And um, my number, does anyone want to guess, for those of you who know me, some of you don't know me, so, and anybody want to guess what my number one strength is, besides physical strength? Um, <laughs> what's that? Someone made a guess? Activator. Activator is in my top five, but it's not number one. No, I don't have woo. <laughs> woo is winning over people. I don't know where that is. Anybody else? Responsibility. Is, the, is, is my number one strength, which is uh, kind of a bad thing. Well, let me explain why. So responsibility is really this, this strength that you, you hold tightly to the things that you are responsible for. And I should really have Kelly Johnson be up here talking about this strength because she, she's gonna, she's like, you're not telling, I bet she's going, you're not telling this, right? Because Kelly works for Marcus Buckingham and, and uh, 
all this being said, she, it's like what she does for a living. But responsibility, ultimately, I'll try to do my best to define it, is, is again, that there is a, a feeling of responsibility. When you feel like you're responsible for that, you, you know, you're going you're gonna to work hard to, uh, to build it, to protect it, to keep it safe. You're going to put a lot of time and effort into things that you feel responsible for. If you don't feel responsible for something, there's kind of a feeling like you've been freed from it, and so I don't have to worry about it, I don't have to think about it. So it, it helps, at least for me, focus in and make sure that, you know, it's, it's going, it's growing, we're uh, problem solving, you know, whatever it might be, there's, a, there's kind of an a, a ownership feeling to the things that a person who has responsibility. The problem, and, and really what StrengthFinder says, is your weaknesses are, are overuse of your strengths. The problem for me is I, oh, I feel responsible for too much stuff. Like stuff that I probably am not responsible for or stuff that I just shouldn't be responsible for. But I, like, like the website. I have practically built the website. Do you know how many other people could do that? Why is the pastor building the website when there's probably a plethora of other people within this church that can build it? The problem is I look at it, I go, that needs to fix. I want it to look good. And, and the, the responsibility kicks in and I make it mine and I go. The problem and the weakness is the overuse of that keeps me from doing things like getting, you know, the things that I really need to spend my time on. Sermon prep, leadership, you know, all the other things that the lead pastor should be doing. But I think all of us are guilty of this in life where we look at things or we're responsible for things that we can't even see that we're holding tight and we're just, we're spinning plates. I went to a Timberwolves game once and at halftime, a woman came out on a unicycle and she started spinning plates. Have you ever seen these people? And I remember going, that's incredible. But then I thought, how do you get good? How do you know you're good at that? Like, how do you get into unicycle spinning plates? Like some of, there, there is a person here that has no idea that God has gifted you to ride a unicycle and spin plates. Like, because you've never tried it. But how do you get into it? I don't really know. But I remember watching this woman and she's spinning all these plates. And I go, this I, anxiety started just overwhelmingly taking over my existence in the world because I'm going, oh, that plate, that plate, that plate. You know, you're looking at all the plates and how does she keep it going and not falling? And, and like some of us here, that's life probably right now. You got all sorts of plates and spinning and you're looking and you're, 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 you're just, you're, you're trying to keep everything going because you're responsible for it. And if you don't do it, no one's going to do it. If you don't fix it, no one's going to fix it. And I'm guessing there's people here and people watching, you're just tired. You're tired. And I think it's a, it, honestly, it's a really strategic uh, attack of the enemy. If the enemy were to show up and just make himself really known to you, like blatantly obvious, you're going to do something about it. But Satan usually doesn't show up like, like evil in horror movies. He usually shows up in strategic, like, manipulative ways where we trick ourselves into thinking it's good, but it robs us from the great. And so he, if he can get us spinning and doing a lot of work, 
it might be taking us away. It might be good stuff, but it might be taking us away from great things. And it might just be keeping us from giving all to what God has called us to. So this series is for the, it's for those tired. It's for the plate spinners. It's a chance for, I think, I hope us to breathe. And I need it right now because I'm tired, if I'm honest. I'm so tired. I think leading out of COVID, I mean, can I just go, I'm going to get on a pedestal and just start to like complain a little bit. You know, leaning out of COVID, which is hard for everybody, figuring out how do we do church in the midst of a pandemic, building a building, going to school, I'm writing a thesis right now. Um, I have two little kids who I have to like love. <laughs> I want to too, but I have a wife too, who I really want to love. Um, but I'm tired. I'm really tired. So this is a chance, I think, for all of us, I hope, to just sort of take a deep breath. Maybe hit the reset. Maybe go, God, where do I need to start maybe saying no? But let's start by looking at, God, what have, like, what have you entrusted me with? Truly, what, have, what are you calling um, me to, to really give myself to? And then we can work our way out from there. Let me read for you Paul in 1 Corinthians Verses 4, 1 through 4, he says, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants. And I want to look at three words in the original meaning. The Bible wasn't written in English. The New Test or Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And so we translate it. And we don't, all, you know, there's, all, there's almost always a deeper meaning. So I want to look at the original Greek words together. But we're going to look at servants. Uh, he says, as servants of Christ and those entrusted. That's the second we're going to look at, is entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And that's the last word we're going to look at, faithful. He goes on to say, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court indeed. In other words, I don't really care what people say. How much of our sort of burden, like the burden of what we're doing, is because we, we're doing it for others? Like we're doing it because we want to look good. We're, 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 we're doing it so that we save face. We're doing it so that other people speak well of us. And Paul's in essence saying like, I, just, I, I'm, I refuse to fall into that trap. Like that's, that is a dangerous game. In other words, I'm, I refuse to people please. It's a dangerous game because you might get, you might win some people over, you know, like woo, and you, you but you're not going to win over everybody. You're going to inevitably let people down. You're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to make too many commitments, and then you're going to be break commitments, and you're going to hurt people. It is a rat race, the people pleasing game. And he goes like, I'm not going to do it. He doesn't say that he doesn't care. Like, it sounds a little harsh. He just says, I care very little. <laughs> so there are people, and Paul's a person. Let's remember that. He's not Jesus. He's not God. He's a sinner. But here he's, I, I, I think what he was, I would guess what he's trying to say is, look, there are people in my life that I'm going to listen to very carefully, and I care a lot about what they say. He's not saying don't care what people say. But I think what he's saying is, I, I carry, there's a lot of people I just don't care what they say. Like I have 
pinpointed the people in my life that I, that I need to listen to. And there's a lot of other voices that I just have to silence. So he goes on to say, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. What, it, what does that mean? My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. What is, what, what is he saying there? I think, in other words, what he's saying is he's saying, look, there are likely things that God has entrusted me with, given me responsibility over, has called me to do, that I don't even know. But just because I don't know those things, like I'm ignorant to that, it doesn't mean that I'm innocent. It doesn't mean that God doesn't still expect me to, to lead and serve and, and be entrusted with those things. And that's why finding out what God has entrusted you with is vital. He goes, therefore judge nothing about the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So let's look at three words in this text. The first is he goes, we ought to regard ourselves as servants of Christ. We love the word leader. There's a whole church sort of subculture built around leadership that, that spawned from really one church, but the, the, the sort of like the emphasis on leadership and the pastor is like the CEO and the best pastors would be, would be men or women who would not only su succeed in church leadership, but in business. And we celebrate the leader. We love the leaders. And the Bible isn't against leadership. Let me be very clear about that. But the New Testament uses the word servant a whole lot more than leader. That ultimately, the pastor, the leaders in the church... Those who call themselves Christians are called to serve, to ultimately be a servant. Here's what the Bible, the dic the Bible dictionary says about this, this, uh, this word in Greek. It means an under rower. That's what this word means. A rower of one ship's crew. The idea that, you know, you think about those old ships that you had, you had uh, the important people up top and underneath you had a workforce of people that were pulling like the movie Ben-Hur. You remember that movie? And they're, they're, they're rowing and they're the ones that are, are moving the ship. What, what Paul's trying to get at here in using this, this word is that, look, when we have decided to follow Christ... We have, in essence, said, I, I, I want to become a servant of Christ. Christ. It's Christ's ship. He's the one who's captaining this ship, my life. And he's called me to be an under rower, to function that way. Like, he's calling the shots. He's, he's captaining my life. And I have been called to serve him. And I think the trap and what the enemy wants to speak into your ear when you hear that is, that sounds awful. What a terrible life. 
I want to be in control of my life. I want to be the captain of my life. I want to steer my life the way, the area, I, you know, the places I want to steer. And I would just say, how has that worked out for you? You see so much brokenness, even in the most successful people. Broken relationships, broken marriages, problems with money, drugs, addiction. It's like the people who we think have steered the ship and their life the most successfully are actually, in a lot of ways, the most sad, the most burdened. Like it is actually a better and more freeing life to hand over leadership to Christ and to say, lead me. He's not on deck sort of going, look at this person here. Like I get to just manage their life and I I get to live the better life up here while they're they're under, uh, you know, below deck. That's not, Christ didn't, look at his life. He He didn't model that to his followers. And if anything, he's like, I'm down in there rowing with you. There's a humility there. And he goes, look, I I want better for you. I want healing and wholeness, and I want purpose, and I want vision. And one of the best ways to live is following me and serving and loving others. It's one of the most rewarding ways to live. The second word, though, is entrust. He says, this isn't how you ought to regard us, a servant of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. The Greek word here is oikonomics. Maybe you've heard that word before, but it, it means the manager of a household, a steward, a trustee. It means you don't own it, but you've been given the responsibility as if you do. Like it doesn't belong to you uh, but but you, you've been asked to take care of it. You know, it's like house sitting. How many of you have house sat? Probably a lot of us. There was a time where I got asked to house sit a lot. I'm guessing because I was, I was single, no kids, and I was a pastor. Like, oh, let's have the pastor house sit because it'll just like be better maybe? I don't know. But I remember I got asked to house sit this family at, at Woodridge. And... Um, <laughs> Brian knows where I'm going with this because he was there. Um, Brian's our worship leader. He's like my best friend too. So I, I bring him up a lot and stuff. We've had a lot go on in our life together. But, but I, I get asked to house sit this house. And uh, I think it's like, oh, the pastor's house sit. So everything will be fine. I, I committed a murder. I'll just say that. So let me, let me give some context. Um. They had a little betta fish. You know those like those, those fish that are a complete waste of time. Um, like they live in in like plastic cups. They're beautiful, but um, they had a betta fish, and they had na- the, the two kids had named the betta fish Mark Allen, who was the worship leader at Woodridge at the time. They had such a they had such a fondness of the worship leader. They had named their beta Mark Allen. So I go to the house. You know, they're showing me all around. They go, this is Mark Allen, our beta. And I'm looking at it. And I'm like, oh, serious. Okay. Um, they go, this is what you do to feed it. You got to be very careful. And, and if you could clean out, you know, his, his, 
his Dixie cup that he lives in, um, you know, once, once while we're gone, that would be great. It'll be, you know, Mar it'll be good for Mark Allen. So I was like, okay, fine. They go, they leave. I don't know, three, four days go by. I was like, okay, I got to clean Mark Allen and his deal. And so I, I, I pour Mark Allen like into another bowl and I just flip the water on into his bowl. I don't check. I don't just whatever. You fill it up. It's clean water, I assume. Put it up there. Take it. I take Mark Allen and I dump him in there. And instantly he goes like this. <laughs> I, I murdered Mark Allen. because I put my finger in the water and it was hot, boiling hot. <laughs> so Mark Allen is now floating. I pick him up and I start to do little CPR. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what to do on the bait. I just sort of... I'm looking for a little fish to, you know. No, I didn't do that. But I killed, I killed Mark Allen. I did try. I went and got, I did do this. So I got colder water and I put him in there and I just, come on. And I didn't know if it, like, it was like, should I pray for resurrection or should I save my resurrection prayer for like a human? I didn't know. But I, I don't, I think I maybe did pray for resurrection and God said no. He answered no. But so I'm like, what? okay, then, then here's the moral dilemma. The first thought, I can find another beta that looks just like this. For sure. But then I'm like, what if I get caught? Like, what if there's like a little stripe of red that the girls notice? That's not Mark Allen. So I end up, I end up calling. And I said, hey, um, Mark Allen's dead. And, she, and the mom goes, what happened? Was he in a car accident? This is awful. And I go, no, no, the beta, not the real one. No, not the human. The beta. I don't think I was ever asked to um, house sit them again. So um, they were okay with it. At least they m made it seem like they were okay with it. I don't know what they actually felt. But I, yeah, I was never asked again. But, you know, this, like... Not my house, not my beta, not my animals, but when you're, when you're entrusted like, as a house sitter, it, it, just because it doesn't belong to you, you're given this thing that go, you know, take care of this as if it were yours. Take care of it as if it belongs to you. And this is what uh, Paul is saying. Like, we've been entrusted with this message, like the gospel of Jesus Christ, with all these wonderful mysteries, these beautiful, like, mysteries about who God is and who Christ is and what he's done and the truth that sets people free. And it's like, you've been entrusted with this message and this life and this gift of, of eternal life. And it's like, there's an expectation there that comes with it, that you're gonna, you're gonna not only like protect it, but like use it. And this is, this is, what, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, you know, I think a key to life is you look at everything you have, in, including your tangible things that you own, including like your, your aliveness, like your body, you, you know, the time that God has given you, the skills that God's given you, like all of it. I think one of the keys is to, is to, to go, I, God is entrusted. I'm actually not the owner of all this stuff. My house... Yeah, maybe like in the, in, the, in the view of the world, my name is on, you know, the mortgage. Like, it, I, I own it, but actually I don't. Like, 
It's God's, my money, my bank account, God's, my skills that God's given me. God, like, like the uniqueness that he's created me. It, all of this belongs to God, but he's given, gifted it to me, and he's entrusted me with it. The amazing thing is when you begin to look at your life that way, and like your stuff in particular, it frees you in so many ways. To be generous, if something goes belly up, it's like, okay, that's cool. Like God's going to take care of me. Look what he's, look what he's given me and how, he's, how, how far he's taken me. Of course he's going to be like, you know, it's just his stuff. I, this has been an incredibly important lesson for me as the, for this church. You hear people say, and I, like, your ministry, like, we, we talk about, um, like, a famous pastor, let's just say uh, Matt Chandler, big-time pastor down in Texas, like, it's his church, his ministry. And it even, it, we even use that language when it comes to smaller churches, like, you look and go, Aaron's church. How's your ministry, Aaron? How's your church? As if I own it. And the problem is that uh, if I believe that it's mine and that I own it, then I, I get puffed up with the successes of the church and I get utterly destroyed at the problems and the challenges and the failures of the church because it's about me. It's not a very freeing way to live. I mean, I, I sit, stay up at night and I'm thinking about all the things, all the problems, like how are we going to, you know, make this person happy? How are we going to pay for, you know, the building is going to be so expensive and, you know, the anxiety around that. And it's like all of this is on, on, on me. And then, and then it's like, actually, Aaron, the Highlands doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. You don't own it. It's Christ's. It's his church. It's forever his church. There's something so free. Now, has God called me to lead and serve? Yeah, absolutely. And there's responsibility that comes with that. That comes with that, absolutely. But at the end of the day, I, I don't own it. He's entrusted me for some time. It won't be forever, but for some time, he's entrusted me to lead as a pastor here, serve as a pastor here. But I can rely on him as the owner. That he'll be faithful. That it belongs to him. That he's going to take care of us. That I, I can't fix every problem. I can't come up with every solution. I don't have to worry about the money like God's going to provide. I think a secret to life is learning to, to, to recognize what it means to be entrusted with stuff. With, with everything. And I think it's a lot more freeing than maybe we think. I think it frees us up in powerful ways. The last is faithful. And the, the Greek word here, it just means faithful, true, trusty, credible. When I think of the word faithful, the first thing that comes um, to me is, is the faithfulness of a spouse. You know, that, that I, I refuse to give in and... and cheat on my wife. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to endure. Even when it's hard, I'm not going to look, you know, to other women. I'm not going to look to alcohol or drugs to sort of make me feel better. Like, I'm going to be faithful to my wife. I'm going to be faithful to what I said when I married her. That means in hard seasons, 
I'm going to endure and choose to love her despite maybe the lack of feelings of love. And inevitably, you're, you're going to have seasons in your walk with Christ that will be tough and hard, and you'll struggle, and you won't feel God as much. But to be faithful is to say, I, won't, I will endure, I'll continue, I will continue to act in, in, in love. I will continue to read my Bible even though it's dry. I will continue to, to pray, I'll continue to serve because I want to be faithful to the one who's faithful to me. So, the inevitable question for all of us then is what has God entrusted me with? How do I find that out? And I can't give you necessarily uh, the steps. I can't lead you to uh, a website or a book. But what I can say is God will speak to you and show you through his word, through discernment, through prayer. But I do have a question that I think can, can be uh, helpful. And that, uh, that question is, is this. What can only you do? Literally you. That if you're not doing it, no, you know, no one's going to do it. When you begin to ask yourself that question, uh, you'll begin to realize there's a lot of what you do that <laughs> a lot of other people could do. There's three things that come up in my mind. Literally, what, 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 what can only I do? I'm the only one who can build my relationship with God. You can't. Podcasts can't. Other pastors can't. Like, I have been entrusted with, the, the, with, with Christ and the, the message of Christ and the gospel and uh, a life with Christ. And only I can dig into it. Only I can grow my relationship with Christ. Only I can can strive to serve and love and um, share this wonderful gift that is Jesus Christ. My, my wife is not going to, uh, to, to fix my relationship with Jesus if it's broken. My wife's not going to be able to, to, you know, at the end of the day, strengthen it. Like, it's, it's me. Only I can build my relationship with God. So I've been, that's, God's entrusted me with that. He's entrusted me with the gospel. He's entrusted me with a, a, a life that's worth, that's worth living and finding out. But no one can do that for me. The second is my, what can I only do is, is in my marriage. Love my wife. Be a husband to my wife right now. I am, I don't really feel comfortable asking another guy in this church to sort of do that for me. <laughs> Not going to do that. You see, when you begin to answer these questions, you begin to see priorities. See the priorities? 
I've been called, I've been entrusted to my marriage, to my relationship with my wife. I've been called to be her husband and all that that means. Not great at it at times, I fail her at times. But uh, because God's entrusted me with this, this marriage, because I can see that I'm the only one who can do it, um, it better be a priority. And then the third one is, is I've been entrusted to be a father. No one, I mean, yeah, you, you could have someone else step in and father, but I don't, I'm here. For now, God has said, you're the father to those two kids back in that gym. You're their father now. Their priority, like, you, you have this season of life to be there for them, to love them. And that doesn't always last. I mean, I think it's important to, to recognize that, you know, it is, a parenting is, is you know, it, it shifts, it changes, it morphs. I heard one, um, one guy who, who said, from, from birth until 13, you're their coach. You know, you're, you're coaching them, you're telling them, you're showing them how to live. And parents who have kids in middle school and older, you know that things change. And he says, from, from 13 to 18 or 19, um, you're their cheerleader. You know, cheerlead, it's not, not to say you don't, you don't like coach them, let's be careful there, or that you don't, you know, set boundaries or, or, or tell them no, but, but really it's an important time of life where celebrate their good choices. Really celebrate their good choices. And then what, from 19, 18, 19 above, you're their consultant. Like they, they're, you are, and it's sad because, in other words, what it means is you give them advice and things when they ask for it. Otherwise, they're on their own. Now, you might not agree this. I mean, this guy isn't like, he's not God. So I, I thought it was interesting, though, because um, I was having a conversation with Paul Johnson, our senior pastor, and it was about an older, older parents with older kids, and they were like swooping in to do all this stuff. And I was like, is that, would you advise that? He's like, no. And then he told me these three things. And, and, and I was like, you know, I have friends. I just want to go, dude, you're 40 years old. Your parents cannot, like, it's time to start paying for your own rent. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're 40. You're, you cannot rely on your parents to come in and fix everything. Like, it's not helpful. As a parent, they're not your responsibility like they were when they were 3, 4, 5, 10. But I know now, I, have, I am called, I've been entrusted to play a pivotal role in my kid's life. And it changes, but for now, I know. I have got to give time. And when I start to sort of sacrifice other things on the things I know God has entrusted me with, I'm in trouble. I mean, I'll just be really frank. I, I have heard my wife before say, you're loving the church more than me right now. And that is a hard thing to hear. You're loving the church more than the kids right now because you're giving so much time, so much of you. See, I, I, look, what is, am I the only one who can pastor this church? No. No, I'm not saying I haven't been entrusted to lead, but 
I, it is not mine again, and I'm not the only one who could lead this church. For, for a time, I've been called to lead it, but there are other leaders, servants out there, and there will be a time when I'm not doing it. And to, to sort of buy into the idea that I'm the only one who can do all this stuff, and I'm the only one who can do the website, I'm the only one who can lead this stuff, it's just it's putting on more and more responsibilities that I'm, I'm claiming are mine, that only I can do, and I'm tired because I can't do it all. And when our priorities shift, we end up sacrificing for the most important things that God has said you, I've entrusted you with, for other things that, quite frankly, don't matter as much. I'm not saying the church doesn't matter as much, but there's all sorts of other things out there. So I know when I ask myself, what are the o- literally the only things I can do? My relationship with God, my marriage, my kids. So I want to ask you that question. How do you start there? Answer that. It'll be eye-opening. What are literally the only things you can do? And then the second question is, what do you need to say no to? And it could be a whole lot of things. We don't get each other's best when we're only able to give 5-10% because we're giving 5% here, 5% here, 5% over here. We're just wrung out. We're spread thin. It is vital that we learn to say, no, I, no, I can't do that. No, I can't attend that. No, I can't, you know, take that responsibility. So, I'm going to leave you with those two questions as we start this conversation. We're going to talk about boundaries. We're going to talk about uh, what it looks like to live this out. But as we start this series, what does it really look like to answer the question, what has God truly entrusted me with? And what are the things that only I can do? I really want to encourage you to ask yourself that question. Talk about that question this week. Write it out. Ponder it. Pray about it. This is the starting point. And then what, what, are, what do I need to say no to? I've had to learn, like, I can't go to that event. I'm going to say no so I can just be at home. Because at the end of the day, I need to be there for my kids more than just, you know, my presence at this church event. Or this activity or this, this night out with friends. Like, God's entrusted me here. And life goes by so fast. And I just don't think any one of us wants to look back and go, I spent a lot of time on things that didn't matter. That's sad. And look, Jesus, God does, is not interested in you living that life. Let's stand together. We'll pray. God, um, we live in a, in a society that actually celebrates busyness. We actually look at people who are so busy and we actually, uh, we in some ways idolize them. I just pray, God, that we would be busy doing kingdom work, like doing the good work, God, that you've called us to. That might, you know, for me, that means to be a, a a faithful follower of you, Jesus, 
to invest in my relationship with you. It means for me to, to love my wife well, to give time to my wife, to love my kids well, to, to train them up to know, God, the ways in which you've called us to live. And God, you have blessed me with an opportunity to lead and serve in this church. And I take that responsibility gladly and seriously, but I also recognize it's yours. And the success of this thing is not built on me. But I want to be faithful to it. But God, I want priorities in, I want, to, I want my priorities to be right in the right order. And I, I pray that for all of us. And I pray for the brokenhearted. I pray for the burdened. I pray for the tired. God, you promise that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, Jesus. And that you have come to give peace and restore our souls. And I pray that for those here and those watching online that just need that. Give them, God, a, a deep breath, a moment of peace and and restoration and teach us and challenge us in this series God to see the things that you've entrusted to us that matter truly matter in Jesus name we pray amen